I wanted to start this podcast series on literary and critical theory with a solo piece, just me, John Drabinsky, talking about Barbara Christian's 1987 essay, The Race for Theory. Future pieces will have uh, a, a conversation between myself and other members of the seminar, which will help for me, I, I, I hope, and for everyone, uh, proliferate insights and observations. But for now, I just want to get us oriented in the course and in the sort of line of thinking around a, a line of thinking that holds the seminar together, that holds the series of readings together. Because we're reading this Christian piece at the beginning, even though it could easily be situated more at the close of the seminar. The Race for Theory essay is deeply critical of critical theory and literary theory of a certain variety. But that critique, and I will say more about it in a moment, is important to me because it raises questions, uh, uh, concerns that are ethical, but also epistemological, you know, not only, you know, how we, how we ought to read or what are the right and good kinds of ways to read, but also, I think more importantly, it asks questions about how critical theory does and does not traffic in legitimate forms of epistemology the way critical theory so many, uh, in so many instances overrides its subject matter, right? Knowing beforehand what to look for rather than being guided by the text. I want to get into that in a moment. Although being guided by the text and so much of what Christian advocates for is itself a literary and cultural theory moment. But I wanted to read this essay and talk about this essay to begin a series of reflections on really uh, key figures in the critical and literary theory traditions, you know, whether it's Jacques Derrida or Martin Heidegger or Sylvia Winter, um, Harold Bloom and others, so that we don't end the semester and ask critical questions back to so much of what we've read, but instead have those critical questions up front so that we read through the critical questions that Barbara Christian raises, which, although it's simultaneous or even predates some of the material we'll be reading uh, as, as critical and literary theory, it in some ways ethically and politically post-dates it. That is, it's asking questions that be, uh, continue to be relevant and under-asked, not unasked, but under-asked, even after those publications in the 90s and even into the early 2000s. And I've always liked that as a way of beginning a course or beginning a series of reflections to frame it ahead of time with the critiques of critical theory, to foreground our considerations of literary and critical theory with the kinds of suspicious questions that are raised by some of its more vehement critics. This essay, The Race for Theory, is a really amazing blend uh, to my mind, is a really amazing blend of polemic and manifesto. At the polemical level, it does what all polemics do well, but also the limits that are inherent in the form of polemics. What it does well is make ethical and political demands on us, right? To put us in a, mo a place as readers or practitioners of critical and literary theory, to put us in a place where we have to ask ourselves questions now. Like, what am I doing with this text? What am I doing with this aesthetic object? What am I doing with this encounter? 
right? It has the limit, however, of making often critical and literary theory into a one-dimensional uh, approach, right? And, and overgeneralizing. I don't tend to be very concerned about that. I imagine some folks are, but for me, it's the, it's, it's the nature of polemics to have a different aim, to not have a sort of rigorous position of its own, right? Uh, but to make, to provoke us, right? To make us, uh, turn back inward and ask, have I participated in the kinds of things that she's warning against? Or even just, um, you know, making, uh, impassioned pleas against. It's also a manifesto because despite the, the critique of the very idea of literary criticism or, or critical theory, what I find so interesting about this essay is that it has itself a poetics. It has itself a critical theory, right? An idea of how we ought to approach literature, poetry, sound, expressive culture more broadly. And so that intertwining of manifesto and polemic makes it for me just in terms of naming what kind of genre this essay uh, is should be should be. Uh, understood as part of or, or under the rubric under which we read it, it makes it really complicated, but it also makes it for me more productive and a really tense productive piece because I think it's self-consciously a polemic against literary and cultural critique, but is itself literary and cultural criticism and theory all by itself. I do think that the essay uh, is interesting because it's both dated and extremely contemporary. A couple of things that stand out for me in the essay as dated are, uh, first of all, when she says at one point that, uh, you know, the number uh, people keep asking her, you know, could you generate uh, black feminist uh, uh, critical theory or black feminist literary uh, cri criticism? some sort of method of some kind. And she says, you know, there, I could count on one hand how many actual black feminist critical theorists there are. And in 1987, I think that was not an unfair uh, uh, claim. But I think since then, that's become such a robust field of study, black, black feminism as, as critical theory, that it, uh, you know, shows that the essay is, is a part of its own moment and that this is one of the rare cases where we can say some things have fundamentally changed. Not that the questions she asks have gone away, but that this particular observation about black feminist uh, critical theory is something that's been addressed uh, slowly but persistently and in important ways. It's been addressed in uh, the academy and in intellectual life. There's also, for me, this interesting these interesting mentions of Toni Morrison's work where Christian, you know, chides uh, uh, re, uh, the, the literary esta uh, academic establishment for not taking somebody like Morrison seriously and even sort of says things along the lines of, and of course no one would think of Toni Morrison as a writer who is appropriate for critical and literary criticism. Um, that I mean, that's one of those things that has proven to not be true, but was certainly true in the in the mid to late 80s. But Toni Morrison's uh, emergence as ar arguably the most important American writer, um, maybe 
period, but certainly of the second half of the 20th century. Um, I think that's that's pretty indisputable, and and it's one of those moments where the the essay is happily dated, right? I think both that emergence of feminist, uh, black feminist literary and cultural criticism, is is a happy datedness as well as the takes on Toni Morrison. But what she has her eyes on the really important argument in the essay is a question about the relationship between critical theory and creative practice. So she often talks about, uh, you know, what would it mean to think of critical theory or literary criticism as practical? And by that, she doesn't mean practical, like accessible. At least I don't think she means it like accessible to, to the masses, right? I, I just don't know that that's anything that's of particular concern to her in this essay, except insofar as that literary and cultural criticism attaches itself to poetry and other uh, expressive works. Because in that moment, right, of poetry and literature and music and other forms of cultural production, the moment those elements attach themselves to a population, right, to a demographic, the kinds of criticism that come, right, like, like critical uh, encounters with it, the way that cri those critical encounters uh, do or do not sort of pass their way through the demographic to the community, to the, to the people embedded in the literary work itself, right? The readers, the worlds that those, those cultural productions express. If criticism doesn't pass through that world, that's that moment of alienation of criticism from the world of, of, of creative work and its world, right? And not passing through that, that's where criticism becomes for her problematic. I think that's never dated. I can't imagine that it would be dated. And so when she talks, uh, and this is often in her most polemical voice, about the philosophers, right, and the new philosophers who want to make everything an example of their theory, that for me is an ongoing issue, and it's an ethical question for me, and also a political one um, for me. And that's something that I think Jordan, uh, Christian really uh, brings uh, out into the, to the open for us is that it's an ethical and political question to render something an example. And in our conversation around this essay, a couple of different uh, uh, comments sort of highlighted the way theory in that way can become an extractive practice. And when criticism becomes a kind of extractive practice, that it is more interested in what it can take from the object than what the object can do to us as readers, right, in the world that it, 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 it embeds us or enmeshes us in, when we simply think of what we can take from it, I think that there's a, a quiet commentary there, or maybe it's not even that quiet at all, where Barbara Christian is saying, like, look, this is imperial and colonial as a relationship to the objects of study. What would it mean not to change our relationship to the objects of study. But, and this is my characterization, I think she's trying to get us to ask what would it mean to have a relationship with the subjectivity 
of what we study. That is, to understand what we are studying, a poem, a short story, a novel, a musical piece, a painting, a sculpture, what would it mean to engage with that as an active force in the world, right? That draws us into not only the world of the thing created, but the world in which that thing created, right? Draws its life. This is one of the things that she really says, uh, you know, in, in such intense ways about uh, about the about poetry's capacity, not capacity, but necessity for the very her very survival. That writing for her is a matter of survival, just as reading poetry and other uh, kinds of creative works that come from the world of black women. Right, that's their specific concern in the essay. The way those, the, the worlds that are embedded in those works and in the worlds in which those works are embedded are also so necessary for survival. And for me, that changes a relationship between the critic and cultural production. Because a critic, in extracting rather than something else, and I'll talk a little bit about that something else in a moment, and that moment of extraction, it's not simply that one is extracting and sort of at the formal level it looks like colonialism, but it's taking something that is necessary for or, or a constitutive part of survival and just taking that as if it were simply an object rather than something that lives between the worlds of the, of the artwork and the world in which it, from which it is drawn and to which it has a, a looping relationship. So really then what she's getting at, and this is where I think she's very much committed to generating her own kind of critical theory, is a relationship, and I'm borrowing this from from the conversation in our course, uh, that it requires a relationship between black affect and black feeling and our own reckoning with the subjectivity of the creative work. It's a subjectivity because it's alive and that it speaks and that it moves and that it's a part of an intersubjective world that extends beyond the text away from us as critics and into this world and you know in her examples of black women and so black women's writing alice walker tony morrison uh, naylor you know others when the when that works subjectivity is part of the intersubjectivity of a world that's not necessarily present in the critic the critic is then in this uh, this odd position of asking, you know, what would it mean to understand the subjectivity and intersubjectivity of this poem? It would be to enter into the, to the dynamics and intensification of black affect and black feeling, right? And I love that, uh, you know, I'm borrowing that from our class discussion. I love that notion of black affect and black feeling because that's this notion of, of you know, uh, what a connection to the text would be, right? The connection to the text would be through the, that sense of affect and feeling, not from a preconceived idea of what I am looking for. And that movement away from 
what I am looking for and finding it as an object, right? And extracting, you know, an example out of, out of this object to turn myself to the subjectivity of the piece of the poem and enter that intersubjective world is that world of black affect and black feeling. And it's also this moment where not every critic is the same. Not every critic is the same because that relationship to black affect and black feeling is going to be structured by all sorts of things around generation, around race, around gender, around region, around class, and so forth. And so for me, what that, the critical theory that's sort of nascently emerging here, right, or nascent there and emerging slowly, is a sense of, of limits and possibilities that are very much attuned to the, what we would now call the subject position of the critic. And it's not just that the subject position of the critic is something one takes account of like it's a confessional, I am this and that and the other. But instead, understanding as a reader and a critic and one who reckons with, with an aesthetic object aesthetic subject, see it's a habit, right, to call it an aesthetic object, an aesthetic subject, to encounter that one has to understand points of access and points of blockage. And that then reckoning with what we're, you know, the poem would mean reckoning in ways that are both limited and opened up by those notions of subject position. And so for me, this is what's so important about her critique of the prescriptive, what she calls the prescriptive nature of theory. I mean, I myself don't understand critical theory to be prescriptive. In fact, I think that's exactly where, where uh, critical theory is not doing work when it is prescriptive, that you have to look at it this way, or you have to see these certain things or these features or these formal elements in order to understand uh, uh, an aesthetic piece write a poem, novel, and so forth. I don't think that's actually how, how critical theory works when it works, but that's also that way that I think Barbara uh, Christian has changed critical theory to get us thinking very much more in what we could, I think, broadly call a phenomenological mode of critical theory. That phenomenological mode is... is is characterized, and this is my embellishment, right? This is not Christian's uh, language. But the phenomenological turn is that moment where we look at the lived experience of aesthetic encounter. An aesthetic encounter in the deepest sense that our sensibilities come to the aesthetic event of a poem, right? My sensibilities meet the sensibilities of the poem, right? That feeling and affect meeting point and point of contact then I describe, right, because phenomenology is fundamentally about description, that I describe that lived experience rather than prescribe the kinds of things that are important about it and that we ought to care about it. But instead, there's this immersive quality, I think, in what, what uh, Christian is calling us towards. She says a couple of things. I'm going to read a couple of quotations because I think they're really important. This one is on uh, page 61. And she writes, I can only speak for myself, but what I write and how I write is done in order to save my own life. I mean, that is just a profound statement for me. Going on. And I mean that literally. 
For me, literature is a way of knowing that I am not hallucinating, that whatever I feel or know is. It is an affirmation that sensuality is intelligence, that sensual language is language that makes sense. And that idea of sensuality being sense-making, that is that the sound and feel of words makes meaning and not the capacity of those words to articulate or disarticulate certain prescriptive uh, elements of what we might call meaning making, right? This is her, I think, her way of liberating the poem from the critic, but also inviting us to encounter the poem in a different way, to encounter the poem in a, as a as sensual object, right? Sorry, sensual subject, right? To engage it in that really deep um, way of a, of, a, of a mutual sensuality, right? Of a, a kind of erotic romance between the reader and the event of the poem, the event of the novel, of the short story. There's also this passage <clears throat> on 62 at the end, um, and this goes to the question of intelligence and uh, methodology. She says, I therefore have no set method. Another prerequisite of the new theory, since for me every work suggests a new approach. And so when I say there's this phenomenological turn in Barbara Christian's essay, it's exactly this. That is, there's no set method. There's no prerequisite of what a, what a, what a, what a, a, a poetic event would be. There is, rather, that each work, or every work, as she says, suggests a new approach, right? That we have to engage as it, the lived experience of that work, what it, what it articulates to us. That's its subjectivity, right? That it speaks loudly from a world and as a world, but that we also engage that in the relation to, you know, in the example she's giving to black affect and black feeling, and my lived experience of that as a reader and as a critic who might reckon with the meaning of these things is going to be related to my own embodiment, to my own sensuality, to my own capacity to connect and not connect to black affect and black feeling. She goes on and says, as risky as that might seem, it is, I believe, what intelligence means. I love this. She's trying to tell us what she means by intelligence directly and clearly. What intelligence means. A tuned sensitivity, right? The, that that oral, lang uh, oral uh, sense, right, of, of hearing and sound. A tuned sensitivity to that which is alive and therefore cannot be known until it is known. That is, we can't know anything about the poem ahead of time. And this idea that we can't know uh, anything about the poem ahead of time, we may just say, you know, well, that, of course you can't. That's why we read, right? We read to learn. But here it's not learning, right? Here it is this submission to the world of the poem, to the world of, of the work of art. Um, not submission in the sense of absolute passivity, but submission in the sense of giving up my prescriptions, giving up my conceptual framings ahead of time in order to encounter with all the limits and possibilities that come with lived experience, because we all live experience from a particular subject position, 
right? We enter in that, into that lived experience both of ourselves and the poem, and the poem and it, the world from which it draws and in which it is embedded. And in that intersubjectivity, right, that, that, that relationship that happens, it's, it's peculiar about affect and feeling, right? That's where intelligence happens, that we get tuned to the world. Right. I like that, like the sensitivity of that tuning, right? That, that we, you know, when you, when you tune an instrument, right, it's about hearing how the sounds match up. It's not saying I want it to sound like this and then making it sound like that. It's making, matching the sounds, right? The, you know, E and E both, you know, the, the tuning like makes them both E right. Makes them both A makes them both G and that sense in which, which, the connection she is trying to articulate in the essay is really about not necessarily harmony, but attunement. Because attunement can be limited, but it can also be infinite. Right? And that limited and infinite possibility, again, is the phenomenological moment of describing rather than prescribing what the encounter with the poem is. That's my own sort of way of, of, of drawing out the critical theory in the Race for Theory essay. She ends with this absolutely fantastic um, quotation from Audre Lorde's uh, Sister Outsider. And I want to read uh, this last little bit here uh, from this quotation, which really goes to the heart of what I was just saying in terms of this phenomenological dimension or this the intersubjective, the attunement tuning and that sense of, of, of a sensual encounter both with ourselves as readers and with the world of the poem. This is from Lord from uh, the essay Poetry is Not a Luxury where she writes, we can train ourselves to respect our feelings and to transpose them into a language so they can be shared. The sharing there I think is so interesting and important. And where that language does not exist, it is our poetry which helps fashion it. Again, and where that language does not yet exist, it is our poetry which helps fashion it. Poetry is not only dream and vision, it is the skeleton architecture of our lives. This is amazing. Poetry is not a dream and vision. That's why it's the extraction here matters, right? that the extractive model is not just extracting dream and vision, which would be problematic plenty by itself. But poetry is not only dream and vision, it's the skeleton architecture of our lives. And when you extract skeleton, right, or you extract elements of architecture, you make the entire thing unstable. And in that way, I think, you know, I think through Lord, Christian is trying to suggest that an ex that a prescriptive model, right? That is when theory has such distance from the sensuality of creative practice, it actually is a kind of murder, right? Of a world, right? Or at least an attempted murder, right? Certainly on the page. Going on the last sentence here, talking about poetry, Lord writes, it lays the foundations for a future of change a bridge across our fears of what has never been before. 
It's a beautiful uh, way to end this essay. And in ending the essay that way, I think Lord uh, articulates what Christian had in the preceding pages uh, with such con- conciseness. <laughs> it's, it's actually quite stunning. Um, you know, the entire essay is in some ways a riff on those last few sentences. But that idea of the skeleton architecture and the birth of new possibilities is also this moment where I think Christian is trying to say that some of the ways that, or many perhaps, if not nearly all of the ways that critical theory has, um, how can I say this, the way critical theory has been practiced and generalized draws on very specific kinds of traditions, traditions that one can say have this extended conversation between writers across generations, sometimes across centuries. And that when you take a form of criticism that is is primarily concerned with that model of literary production and relation, and you apply it to an emerging vision Right, which Lord is talking about, which Christian is talking about, of black women's writing, right, which in some ways writes with little to no precedent, right, that has a sense of inventiveness, that has a sense of creation, right, then you have to calibrate and really completely and totally reconfigure the poetics one imagines in relation to this field of cultural production and therefore what critical theory would mean when faced with something that is undertaking and undergoing in many ways a completely different sense of creative project and that different kind of creative project right of of inventing language for a world that is already lived and therefore creating a, a skeleton to sustain and hold up and give shape to the fleshiness of experience. It's exactly in those moments that I think Christian takes such an important step from, in the essay, from the critique of critical theory to a call for a new kind of critical theory. It also means for me, and this is looking forward, that Christian is making us ask questions about the non-specificity of so much critical theory, that it doesn't identify itself very intimately, if at all, with the kinds of worlds that it's addressing and the kinds of traditions it's addressing and the way, therefore, certain forms of critical theory uh, presuppose, right, are completely dependent upon those traditions in order to make sense. That is, it's not generalizable, it's specific. And once we think it's specific, critical theory is specific to the certain kinds of literature that it emerges out of as a critical theory, then we can also ask, right, you know, what are the limits of those other kinds of critical theories, say, uh, you know, you know, uh, you know, French feminist critical theory this is one of the targets of, of the essay. French feminist critical theory, what is the relationship between French feminism and black women's writing? Perhaps none at all, but if it's going to have any at all, 
it has to undergo a massive transformation. And that transformation, this is my last comment, that transformation is not a transformation of, say, French feminist theory on its own terms or in a dialectic where it has a sort of uh, a back and forth with black women's writing. Rather, the transformation of any of those terms around embodiment and elementality and so forth that come out of the French feminist tradition, if taken then to the field of black women's writing, it gets rewritten completely by the sensuality of the poem, by the sensuality of the words and worlds out of which that poem emerges and out and to which that poem continually returns. That sense of what other theorists would call a sort of radical creolization, right, renders French feminist theory unrecognizable, having been run through this phenomenological space, this lived experience, this intersubjective world of the poem and black women's lives, right? It be, the, the theory that travels into that is so fundamentally changed that it becomes something unrecognizable from the perspective of its previous self. And that's the moment where Barbara Christian's uh, Race for Theory essay, I think, is both a productive conception of critical theory that it proposes a different model of relation, but it is also a destructive critical theory in that it will not let other critical theories stand as imperial forces in relation to or in the face of something as emergent, as sensual, and as fundamental as black women's writing.